My name is Mike Sayers, and I am, I guess, the senior pastor here at SCUM. And um, we are embarking on a new season at SCUM of the Earth Church. I would say a season long anticipated by, by me. And a lot of you who are newer to the church aren't going to know uh, some of my background or kind of historically how SCUM has operated. But let me clue you, if you were not aware, SCUM doesn't operate very much at all like a charismatic or a Pentecostal church. Maybe you've noticed that. Um, we tend to be, in some ways, very much in our heads. Rational thinking is of high priority to us, looking at the scriptures, deciding how to live according to what the scriptures teach us is a value that we hold strongly, always has been. But if you've been around for a while and you know me, then you know that also somewhere in the background, and especially even if you've read Pure Scum, you know there's this kind of charismatic strain that wanders and meanders through not only my life, but I would say the life of Scum of the Earth Church. In that, Scum of the Earth uh, was birthed, and God spoke through dreams, uh, through, through visions, that things have happened here of a supernatural nature, and, you know, we just don't talk about them much. And I, and I think that's appropriate. Let me explain why. Thirteen years ago, when we started, Scum of the Earth was really a ragtag group of very young adults who had a difficult time, not only with society in general, they were the left out, they were the right-brained, but even a difficult time with the church. And first things needed to be put first in that we need to develop a firm foundation on Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, on the Word of God as the manual by which we conduct life. We didn't need, I don't think, in my opinion, to be introduced to the wild and crazy world of charismatic Christianity. Not that I don't believe in all of the gifts for the church through all of the ages. I do. February 2nd, Scum turns 13 years old. I kind of feel like as a church we're going to have our bat mitzvah, if you know what that is. And it's a Jewish cultural kind of rite where a young girl comes into womanhood. I choose the female version as opposed to the male version, the bar mitzvah, because compared to Jesus, we are all feminine. We are the bride of Christ throughout the scriptures. Are we not even the guys, just so you know? And I'm thinking there's some things that need to happen as scum grows up into adulthood that have not happened so far. And so it's time to <laughs> come out of the charismatic closet, as it were. 
It's time to take the, uh, the hood off and uh, reveal the tongues of flame that are dancing above our heads. That's a reference to Acts 2, if you didn't know what I was talking about. Part of our journey is to see the wonders of God work on our behalf. And so with this prayer and worship night coming up this Friday night, we are attempting to usher scum of the earth into a fuller understanding of the wild and wacky world of the spiritual gifts. You may ask, Mike, why are you doing this? Like, you're going to wreck everything. Well, here's the reason. It's because the Spirit of God is part of the Trinity. And when God gives gifts, he gives them to his whole church, not just the charismatic church. And, and I firmly believe I would rather have the people that I love and care for at Scum of the Earth find out a rational as possible look at the charismatic nature of the church here as opposed to going somewhere else where I might not trust those in charge near as much as I trust the people on staff and in leadership here at SCUM. So, with that as a backdrop, I'd like to talk more about the spiritual gifts. One of the places that we go when we are talking about spiritual gifts is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me give you some background. The Corinthian church is a Greek church. Corinth is located not too far from Athens. And uh, these people, these Greeks, I know it's hard to believe, but they took things to an extreme. <laughs> if Greeks are anything, they are extreme people. They are extreme in their love. They are extreme in their hospitality. They're extreme in their anger. They're extreme about food. They're extreme about dancing. They're extreme about politics. They're extreme all the time. And this was no different. In the city of Corinth, you had some new believers who were just ecstatic about their newfound faith. And the Holy Spirit was doing remarkable things among them, and they took it to an extreme. So 1 Corinthians really is a letter where the Apostle Paul writes to these Greeks, trying, in effect, to rein them in just a bit, because they're going so nutso about the gifts. Nonetheless, Paul does not rescind their use of the gifts, but rather seeks to teach them. So if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians 12. It'll be on the wall over here to my right. We're going to go verses 1 through 11. Paul begins, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I can say, along with the Apostle Paul, I do not want scum of the earth to be uninformed about the charismata, the spiritual gifts. That's the Greek word for gifts, charismata. Now you know where the word charismatic comes from. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. 
Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. I don't know what was going on in Corinth, but obviously this was an issue. And Paul wanted to let people know that one of the litmus tests for whether or not a person was a Christian, this is not the only one, but one of them is that a Christian, someone who is filled with the Spirit of God, says Jesus is Lord, sincerely. I mean, you can say Jesus is Lord snidely, right? Didn't they sardonically write something to that effect and nail it above the cross of Jesus when he was being crucified? Here is Jesus, King of the Jews. The irony was that it was true. But the people who wrote it on there and nailed it above the cross didn't believe it. So it's not the only test. You have to look throughout the whole Scripture to find out how you tell a true Christian from someone who is not. But Paul says one of these ways is that nobody sincerely can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. And someone who says Jesus be cursed is not necessarily a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I, here's the deal. I've heard people in their darkest moments, Christians who normally love Jesus, say something on this order because they're they're so devastated and in their hearts of hearts they don't really really mean it you know because they're just so angry so you can't take this one verse and apply it everywhere across the board and say this is the only litmus test for those who either believe or don't believe you just got to look at the whole scripture old testament and new testament but it is one. Paul begins in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now this is interesting, and you miss this if you don't study the Scriptures. Let's take a look for a minute. He is using three different words for the same thing. He says there are different kinds of gifts, charismata in Greek, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service. So somehow service and gifts, he's doing a parallel structure. Service is the same as gifts. The word service is the same word where we get uh, diakonos, we get slave from... Uh, so he's saying something about these gifts, that they're not just gifts from God, but they are things that uh, God wants you to do in service to him and to others. So it's not just about you and your little gift from God. And then there's a third word, different kinds of working. Now, the Greek word here for working is the same word from which we get our word energy. It's power. So, in other words, God is the one who is giving the power. It is through God's power that this gift is given, that this gift is in, made in service of others. 
So these are all the same thing. It's not just a present that you get to keep all by yourself. It's something that God has in store for you to use in the context of community. And here's the deal. God is giving this gift out of the context of community. The Trinity is community. It is the holy unity. Take a look. In the first verse, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. In the next line, he talks about the Lord. The Lord Jesus. That's the Lord. Kyrios in Greek. Señor in Spanish. Jesus. And then in the last line, in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God, Theos, at work. So, as Paul was talking about these gifts being given for use in the community of God, he's saying they come out of the community of God for our community. These are not given individually. I don't know what else to say except the gifts are birthed in community and find their full maturity in community. That's important because as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. That these gifts can be refined as well in the context of community. You know, sometimes we meet people, and we, we sense they have spiritual gifts, but, you know, they're kind of like a bull in a china shop. They're using their gift and kind of trampling over people, especially people with the gift of prophecy. They're, they've got truth, and they want to tell you this truth. And sometimes they don't have quite the finesse that they ought to have. But it's in the context of community, they learn to use this gift in the way that God intended it to be used. I can't stress this enough. And, and, and I just want to say that this is why Bible study is important. When we first read that, I'll bet 99% of you didn't see that part of the Scripture coming to life. Starting in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Not just your good, but the good of everybody. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. What are we to take away from this? There's a lot. We're going to be talking about that the rest of the time. However, I want you to realize that every person in the body of Christ has at least one gift that's given for the common good. So if you're a Christian, you've been given a gift. 
you have at least one. Maybe you have more. And here's the trick. Maybe sometimes you have one for a while, for a season, and then it's taken away, but you surely get another one. Why? Because God cares about his people. These are gifts given out of the love of God for his people. You don't give gifts to people you hate. God likes you. He loves you, and he has gifts for you, but they're not just for you. They're for you to use in the context of the common good. Everybody has at least one. So maybe you're telling me, oh, I, I, I don't have one. I, I don't have any gifts. In that case, somehow you are contradicting the word of God. Do you realize how dangerous that is? You have a gift. Maybe you just don't know what it is or how to use it. Now, if you go online, you'll find all sorts of, quote-unquote, spiritual gift inventories. Maybe you've been to a church before where they had questionnaires you had to fill out, and then at the end of the questionnaire, they told you what your spiritual gifts were. Great. Awesome. I'm sure... Assessing spiritual gifts is a spiritual gift in itself. And people, because they care, you want to use their gift for the common good. But, you know, for probably, you know, 1950 years of the 2,000 years that Christianity has been around, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have diagnostic tools for Spiritual gifts. So how do you find out what your spiritual gift is for most of the history of the church? Any ideas? The community of the church. That's how. You find out your gifts within the context of community. For example, somebody may say to you, you are such an encouragement to me. You know, and I've talked to several other people, and when they get done speaking with you, they have the energy to get up and go on with God another week. Well, maybe your spiritual gift is that of encouragement. Just maybe. And you never knew that it was that. Sometimes we think we have a gift... And the community lets us know we are grossly mistaken. This especially happens with the gift of teaching. Everybody wants to be the teacher. Everybody wants to be able to get up front and talk to a bunch of people. I mean, trust me, that's a dangerous position because the Scripture says that people who presume to be teachers will be judged more harshly than those who do not. So, maybe you want to rethink that. But I know people who have believed they possess the gift of teaching, and after a Bible study with those people, you are wondering whether or not they even believe in Christ. Or, or you're wondering, what would we just get done doing? Or how does this apply? Or I was bored out of my mind... And this is the word of God. It's the most exciting thing in the universe. How can that be? Well, it's the community that will let you know, 
You know, right now, you don't have the gift of teaching. Harsh, maybe, but good. Sometimes we need that. In the context of community, you will find out what your gifts are and what they are not. Now, I'd like to go over these line by line, and I'm going to kind of switch from expository mode to, uh, to kind of storytelling mode, all right? So in some ways, some of you will love this part. Um, others of you will not. But I'd like to talk about some of these gifts. Let's go back to verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To one there is given a message of wisdom. What could that be? Well, you know what? I, I think this is one of the most common gifts that are in operation in every church, in every Bible study, in every fellowship around. Wisdom is the practical application of the Word of God in someone's life. It's taking the things of God and making them somehow understandable in how you live day in and day out. And so I think you have friends who are operating in the gift of the message of wisdom, the words of wisdom, on a regular basis. You know, when, when you are trying to figure out what job you should take, let's say you've been offered two or three jobs. This has happened to me a few weeks ago. A young person from scum of the earth had not one, but a couple different job opportunities, and they weren't quite lining up in terms of time, and what should I do? And so, you know, she was doing a wonderful thing by seeking wisdom from many counselors, people that, she lo that loved her and whom she trusted. And you know what? She made the right decision. We're left to her own. Maybe she would have made the wrong decision out of fear. She was a benefit of the spiritual gift of wisdom. And this occurs a lot and doesn't have to be a charismatic church. I mean, we all look for advice from people that we trust. Otherwise, why have mentors or even pastors? If you're going to a counselor and you're paying, you know, 90-some dollars an, an hour, you better darn well make sure that your counselor has this spiritual gift. Amen. Yeah. And if he or she doesn't, find somebody else. That one, not so spooky. At least not to us Westerners. We understand that one. The next one, a little spookier. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Now, this could mean just being able to unravel the mysteries that are in life, or maybe the mysteries that are in the Bible. But I've been with people who know things they should not know about me or about others. And that is scary. One of these guys... It's Jay Pathak, a friend of mine. He's the pastor of the uh, Mile High Vineyard. And Jay operates in this gift of knowledge on a uh, pretty regular basis. 
It's like God reads to him other people's mail. And then he gets to bring it up. <laughs> because the person needs to, to pay attention. I remember one time, we were it's very, very early in SCUM, we were having a leadership meeting in our living room, and uh, a girl named Melanie Kolb, who had been part of us from the very, very beginning, part of the Five Iron Frenzy by <laughs> Do you ever wonder about that, though, really? I mean, just my mind kind of goes like, oh, you consider this mountain to be removed. And I'm going, <laughs> you know. I remember uh, there was this book by a guy named Adrian Plass, this, this U.K. guy, who figured he didn't have the faith to move mountains, but he was thinking, well, maybe I have the faith to move a paperclip. And so he put a paperclip on his desk, and uh, then in Jesus' name was commanding the paperclip to move. In Jesus' name, paperclip, be moved over to my right, and it didn't move. You know, of course, then his, his wife and kid, unbeknownst to him, come up behind him. We're listening to him command the paperclip to move, and it didn't move. Anyway, it's a great book. To another, miraculous powers are given. And, and you know, uh, I'm sorry, I missed one. Gifts of healing. I've seen healings. Some of them have been pretty minor, actually. But they were healings nonetheless. Uh, and it surprised me. Because I'm not sure when God says he gives gifts of healing, does that mean he gives like, okay, you can have this healing gift for now, and then you don't get it later? Or does he have specific gifts of healing like, okay, you're going to be able to pray for, for people's backs and, and you're going to be able to pray for people's fingers and hands and you're going to pray for cancer and you're going to pray for migraines and whatever. I, I mean, I don't know. I really honestly don't know. But I remember one time we were in this church, this charismatic church I was part of for eight years, uh, and uh, the pastor had stopped the, the, the service and said, we're going to pray for one another right now. Kind of like some of the stuff we're probably going to do on Friday nights. And, and, and so uh, Mary, uh, my wife, had been suffering from this headache, and she would get these very, very severe headaches. Um, and, and she had been suffering with one all morning. And so my friend Ray Fried and I uh, got up, and we decided to pray for Mary. And so Ray was on one side of her, and I was in there. We put our hands on her, on her shoulders, and we prayed that the headache would go away. All of a sudden, Mary looks up and says, it's gone. And Ray and I look at each other in here and go, really? <laughs> she goes, yeah. While you were praying, I figured God made my head. He can do anything he wants with it. Next thing I know, I just felt it lift off my face and go away. And Ray and I are going, wow. Did you feel anything? No. Did you feel anything? Uh-uh. Who knew? I mean, I've never been that close to a miracle in my life. And that's not the way headaches end. Another time, uh, Mary and I hosted a small group in our home. This is before I was a pastor. Uh, and, you know, I was just a person in the church, you know, doing my daily work routine and then hosting a Bible study once a week at our house. And, and Becky Herrick... Her husband, Bob, was a teacher at the University of Toledo, uh, and then he went on to teach at Purdue University. So these are not dumb people. Uh, but Becky comes into our house, into the foyer, which 
we had a bi-level, so she comes in on the lower level and is going to climb upstairs to go to our living room. And she is grabbing the hand railing with two hands and then coming up the stairs because she had severely twisted her ankle just that day, and she couldn't put hardly any weight on it. And so she got to the top of the stairs, no more railing, so had to help her come and sit down in the chair. We have our Bible study. And afterwards... We pray for each other, because that's what you're supposed to do when you have a Bible study, right? You pray for each other when it's all over. And, of course, Becky asked for prayers for her ankle. And so we gathered around, put our hands on her, and, you know, prayed that God would heal her ankle. And then, like, as we're ending the prayer, Becky all of a sudden bursts out, I'm healed! I am on the floor, like, in front of her, like I was selling her a pair of shoes, right? I'm kneeling down like holding her ankle, and I'm going, really? She goes, yeah, I'm healed. I go, how do you know? She goes, I just know. And I said, well, then run down my hallway. She gets up, and she runs down the hallway, turns around, and runs back. And we're all sitting there going, did you feel anything? No. Did I? I didn't feel anything. Did you feel anything? No. This is amazing. Like, I know these people. See, like, things like that happen. And here's the deal. If you don't use your gift of healing, you would never have a healing. Do you see what I'm saying? If you don't take a risk and pray for somebody because you're thinking maybe God is asking you to pray for somebody, you'll never know. Because how do you find out whether these gifts are yours or not in the context of community. I don't even think it was me. I really don't. I don't know who it was in the room. Maybe it was all of us. I don't know. But I know what happened. And when I hear about God healing people's bigger maladies, then I believe. To another miraculous powers, verse 10. Miraculous powers. You know, I've never seen anybody change water into wine or feed, you know, several hundred people with, you know, one plate of food. But I have seen people delivered from demonic oppression. I don't know if you know this or not, but this happens right here at Scum on a couple different occasions. One of those occasions I talk about in the book Pure Scum, guy came up, went a prayer, said he had four demons that lived inside of him because he'd been involved in the occult for several years. Boy, that freaked me out. You're asking for people, you know, hey, pastor, will you pray for me? Sure, what's the problem? Well, I have four demons living inside of me. I wonder if you could cast them out. Wait right here, <laughs> is what I said to him. And I went and gathered like three or four people and said, let's go upstairs to Tollgate. We'll, we'll pray for you, right? Another time, and I've told this story a couple times. Another time was, uh, and I'll tell this in detail, um, uh, there was a woman, young woman who had uh, come to the, the foyer of Church in the City where we were meeting, and uh, I get a phone call from Jesse Heilman saying, Mike, where are you? I go, well, I'm on a meeting. Go on my way to a meeting with Chauncey before church. He says, can you, can you come over here right away? 
I go, what's going on? He goes, well, there's a woman in the lobby, and she's convulsing, and she's growling, and, 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 um, and we just need you to be here. I go, have you called 911? He said, no. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll come straight away. You call 911. And so I get there. Tell Chauncey to meet me in the lobby. Um, I get there, and there's this small cadre of people standing around this girl. She, you know, she's like if these are the windows in the lobby, she's sitting in a chair right here. Her fiancé is standing behind her, and there's a bunch of people around, and they're praying, right? And she's tensing up, and she's it's growling and you know. And, um, and I'm going, Ugh. I mean, you walked into the room and you felt like there was this heaviness, this darkness pervaded. It was something beyond your five senses. You just could feel it. Bob Till, a missionary, lifelong missionary from uh, Greater European Missions, is there pacing back and forth, I'm assuming, praying. I go up to Bob. He's about my age. I go, Bob, this, this isn't just physical, is it? He goes, no. <laughs> this is spiritual. I go, yeah, it takes me a while, but I finally get it, right? And so uh, I go over to Josh Cook. I go, Josh, do you guys call 911? And Josh goes, I'm not in this, Mike. I'm just watching. It's like, I don't know. Like, he was on the other side of the room just watching what was going on. In Baptist background, made sense. And so uh, the people who were from a charismatic background were gathered around this girl. And some, like Lucas Scrobot was praying in tongues. You know, and other people were praying, and Leonor was sitting in a chair next to the girl, very quietly, head bowed, hands folded, just eyes closed, just praying. And, you know, and I, and I, and I look at this scene, and all of a sudden what comes over me is this tremendous compassion for this poor girl whose body is being racked by demons. And this holy anger enters me, and I say at the top of my voice, in Jesus' name, stop shaking her. The demons, I believed, were present. As soon as I said that, she got stock still. Pretty soon the group of people around her just kind of backed away. <laughs> and she slowly turns and looks at me with eyes that are vacant, like all the lights on, but nobody's home, right? And I walk over there, and I just say, in Jesus' name, you demons come out of her, or you demon come out of her. No response. But she's not moving a muscle. I said, in Jesus' name, you have to come out of her. Again, no response. You can see, like, she's trying to <laughs> She was going to try to move, but she wasn't moving. And I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, this is going to be a tough one. I say, in Jesus' name, Spirit, you have to come out of her. And then she says in this low guttural voice, no, I won't. She's mine. And I thought, oh man. I go, demon, you know you have to come out. And I don't care how long it takes. We're going to be here until you come out. At which point the rest of the group starts come back around and they start praying, right? And, and we're, we're, you know, I'm commanding a demon come out, demon saying no, and I'm going, okay. I mean, people, this is like half an hour before church. People are going to start to come over. This is going to be awkward. <laughs> As they enter the church, because we're in the foyer, I don't know what I'm going to do. Then all of a sudden, Leonor, who had been totally silent this whole time, begins to pray out loud. And she begins to pray for the little girl who's inside. 
And all of a sudden, this girl just bursts out in tears. And she slides off the chair like she's made of soft butter. And is lying there in a puddle of her tears, just sobbing. And I'm going, whoa, Leonore, closer, way to go, awesome. (laughs) And so I asked Leonore and Elizabeth Yoder, who were there, to go back and pray for this girl that she might accept Christ, because that's an important stage when you clear the house, the Holy Spirit should enter and take residence. Otherwise, the final state of that person is worse than the former. And we cleared the lobby out, and nobody knew. (laughs) But those of us who were there, all I can tell you is, is that not just on those two occasions, but plenty of other times, I've seen the miraculous power of God over the evil one. Miraculous powers. To another, he gives prophecy. Now, prophecy is um, pretty simple, actually. It's either foretelling the future that God reveals to somebody. Like, Pharaoh, let me tell you what's going to happen in the future. Or King Nebuchadnezzar, let me tell you what God has planned for the future. Or... Jerusalem, this is what God has planned. I mean, we see prophecy a lot of times in the Bible, right? And it's foretelling the future. But it's not just foretelling the future as God sees it happening. It is also forthtelling. It's foretelling and it's forthtelling, speaking forth the words of God as revealed in Scripture. Prophecy is bringing the truth of the Bible to bear on situations. John the Baptist was being a foreteller when he told the king, it is unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. It's not that spooky. We hear it all the time. Prophecy is talking and explaining the word of God. We have lots of prophets right here in this room. And you are fortunate if you know one, because Paul considers it a very important spiritual gift, so important in that in the only three lists of spiritual gifts we have in the Bible, it is the one that occurs in all three. Prophecy is really, really important. Much more important than tongues, in the words of the Apostle Paul, later on in his letter to the 1 Corinthians. He said, you should all desire to... Have the gift of prophecy. Ask God for the gifts. Ask Him. Ask Him for the greater gifts. And He could give them to you, depending upon His will. I would say, I'll just say that much. I hope that on Friday night there are prophetic words. Perhaps the Lord would lead someone to read a certain passage of Scripture that somebody in the congregation needs to hear right at that moment. Perhaps someone will get up and will be operating in the gift of prophecy and be able to apply that Scripture to somebody's life. To another Distinguishing between spirits. You know, every person who claims to be spiritual is not from God. 
Did you know that? Every person who claims to have heard from God may not tell you what God said. It might be coming out of his own anus. I'm serious. Or worse, it could be coming out of a demonic spirit. How are you to know? Especially if it's accompanied by tremendous works. How are you to know? There is a gift given to the body of Christ that is called distinguishing between spirits so that somebody can tell whether or not a preacher is from God or not. There is going on right here in Denver presently a person planning a church whom I believe is doing so outside of the will of God. I would say the spirit that is present, and by this I don't mean the Holy Spirit, but this man's spirit is not in line with what God wants to do. And there are people who are blindly following this Pied Piper because of his gifts in speaking, etc. You've got to be careful. If you want to know who it is, come to me afterwards and I'll tell you. I'm not going to put it on the podcast. But there are some people who need the gift of the discerning of spirits operating in their community or they will follow a false teacher. This is why the gifts are important. To another person, he goes speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now, I did a sermon about two and a half years ago. It was May of 2010. Uh, if you want a copy, I'll be glad to give it to you on a disc or something, where I spend 50 minutes talking about the gift of tongues. I'm not going to go into detail today, but let me say I believe in the gift of tongues. Let me also say that I speak in tongues, have spoken in tongues for well over 35 years. I do it privately. To God, it's a method by which I don't even know what I'm praying. I just pray any syllable that comes to my head before the Lord, and I figure he can interpret it any way he wants. All I know very often is there's something that's deep inside of me that doesn't sit right or feel right, or I feel distressed or fearful or uneasy, and I don't know what it is. And so I pray and I ask God, who knows what? Because it's all nonsense. It's kind of, this is the way I look at it. This is me, not the Bible. But I, I kind of look at it this way. It's kind of like when um, a young mother and father will bring a kid home from the hospital and they'll begin to listen to his or her sounds and begin to interpret those sounds. Oh, she's hungry. Oh. That means he needs his diaper changed. Oh, that means she's tired. Oh, that sound means this or that. 
Now, maybe the kid doesn't even realize that he's tired. But the parents know because they're smarter, and they know the kid since before he or she was born. I believe tongues is kind of like that. You say goo gaga, and God interprets it the way you need it to be interpreted, because he knows what you need. This is why I believe Paul says it's the least of all the spiritual gifts, because it's really just about you and him. I mean, you, you edify the body in that perhaps you become a better person, and God deals with things in your life. That's good for everybody, right? There's another kind of a tongue, which is spoken in the context of a worship service. Evidently in Corinth, people were getting up in the middle of a worship service and grandstanding and speaking in tongues out loud in front of everybody. Paul says that kind of a tongue demands an interpretation. If you're going to get up on Friday and speak a tongue, there better be an interpretation on Friday. And if there's not, one of two things is happening. Either the person who has been given the interpretation has not stood up and spoken it, or you are merely grandstanding and you need to shut up and sit down. Okay. If you want more on that, talk to me and I'll give you the Sermon on Tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, here's the deal. These are not the only gifts listed in the Bible. There's more. Let's go on to the next slide. From Romans 12, Paul talks about these gifts. Prophecy, once again. Serving. Did you know serving is a spiritual gift? That's not very spooky, but we all appreciate it, don't we? Teaching, encouraging, giving. Giving is a spiritual gift. Some people are super generous. We have some of those people here. It's wonderful. So edifying. And not just in terms of money, in terms of time and talents. Leading is a spiritual gift. Showing mercy is a spiritual gift. To the most difficult people, my wife is that way. I lose patience with people, and she has tons of mercy, and I might be the recipient of the most. That is a spiritual gift that I treasure. Mercy is like not getting the punishment you deserve. You understand that? Like when you deserve to be just yelled at or read the riot act, you don't get it. That's mercy. Spiritual gift. Some people have more than others. Thank the Lord. You don't want to come to me for mercy. That's all I got to say. Go to my wife. She's much more that way than I am. You'll feel much better. 
And then Ephesians 4 is another list. And this is a list basically as it appears in people, that God has given some to be apostles. In other words, these are people who go and they, they bring the word of God where it's never been brought before. They begin churches, right? Um, they, uh, uh, there's prophets, obviously, again. Evangelists, people who go and they, and they spread the word of Jesus to people. Ever notice how some people are better at evangelizing? We're all called to evangelize, right? All of us. None of us gets out of that. Go into all the world and make disciples, Jesus says. That's for all of us. But some people are really good at it. Well, they probably have the gift of evangelism. Pastors and teachers. Now, here's what I surmise from the fact that Paul has three different lists with mostly different gifts listed in each one of them. These are not exhaustive. That there are more gifts than we even know. That there are people out there who have gifts that are not listed in the Bible. I don't know what some of them might be. But I would say, for example, administration would be a gift. Being good with money is probably a gift. Right? Being able to read a spreadsheet in my world is a gift. We have been blessed at Scum of the Earth in that every person here has a gift. Here's the question. The Lord, the Trinity, has given you a gift. It's a package you have in your hand. Is it still wrapped with a nice, cute bow on it? Are you carrying it around your whole life? I've got a gift but I don't know what it is. Gifts are given to be opened, to be unwrapped. You could be carrying multiple gifts your whole entire life and never have opened them. I want you to seek the Lord in the context of community and ask Him, what are your gifts? Ask people around you, what are your gifts? And start using them in this context. If you feel the tug to pray for people who are sick, maybe you're supposed to have the gift of healing at least for a while or for one individual person for one time. Who knows? Unless you open it up and try. If you have been given the gift of tongues. How will you know unless you open your mouth in your private prayer time and let the Holy Spirit do what it does? If you've been given the gift of prophecy, if you keep your mouth shut, that gift will never be opened. Prophecy requires you to say something. Again, it's not enough to know you've been given a gift. One must open it within the context of community.